Please, brothers and sisters, turn with me to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. As we continue our study along in Mark 10th chapter and verses 17 to 22. So Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. Brothers and sisters, hear with me then the the reading of God's Word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, this story is often referred to as Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. And yet, as we just read the account in, in Mark's Gospel, I wonder where it is that you get any indication that he is rich, that he is young, or that he is a ruler. This is where having the other gospel accounts really help us. You know, shape a full-orbed view of the story. You know, Matthew and Luke's accounts kind of include for us some things that Mark decided not to include. And so, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 19 and verse 22, we're told, as Jesus tells him to give up his possessions and come follow him. We're told in verse 22 that when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Right? So Mark's account tells us he's a man. Matthew's account tells us what kind of man he is. Right? He's a, a young man instead of a, an old man. Then in Luke, we learn about this man's occupation and his financial standing. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, we're told, and a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? So Luke tells us he's a ruler, but a ruler of what? He's probably a ruler like Jairus was a ruler in Mark chapter 5. If you remember, Jairus was a ruler of a synagogue. He approached Jesus, asked him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter who was dying. And so this man is probably a ruler of a synagogue. And remember, a ruler of a synagogue is not a rabbi. He's a, he's a lay person. You know, we discussed this. He's, he takes care of the, the physical property. He takes care of the, the physical building. And so he's just, a, he's just a lay person. In verse 23 of Luke 18, then Jesus also tells us, or we're told, that he has many possessions here in verse 23 because we're read, we read that after Jesus tells him to, you know, leave all your possessions, come and follow me. 
It says, when he, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. Right? And so here we, it kind of fills in the story for us, right? Mark tells us he's a man. Matthew tells us he's a young man. Luke tells us he's a rich young ruler, right? And so it's this rich young ruler and this acknowledgement that something is, is missing in his life. Uh, that we're going to really be looking at today is it's this acknowledgement that something's missing that is the thing that, that drives him to Jesus today in this encounter. And I feel, as I read this story, that, that you know, what this young man experienced is something that we really all experience to some degree or another. Right? What we read here really, it speaks to us all. Right? It's something that we all can, can kind of connect with, can't we? In some way, because if you're, if you're a believer, you've had a similar experience. Right? No matter how old or young you were when you were converted, there must have, have came a time in your life when you said to yourself, something is missing. Right? I am incomplete of, in and of myself. Right? I'm devoid of something. Right? My, my purpose here on earth is, must be something greater than myself. And so if you're a believer, you've, you've thought like this man. You've, you've had similar questions as this man has. Or else you've never seen a, a need to come to Christ, would you have? Right? You only knew to come to Christ because you knew something was missing. Something was deficient in your life. Now, I think all believers know this, even if they want to deny it. But for those who actually go out and go looking for that thing that they find or think that is lacking in their life, what we oftentimes see is that they go looking in, in all these different places, don't they? And they usually look in all these other places and not to God, do they? Right? They, they look to find what is lacking in their life through, through various means. Right? Someone might say to themselves, well, I'm lacking happiness in my life because I maybe am not financially secure. And so they, they make it their life's mission to, to acquire and amass right, financial gain and wealth. Perhaps others say, um, my meaning or my life lacks meaning. And so, uh, you know, I really can't stand my job. So they, they quit their job and they go to find another job that's going to fill them with, with purpose and meaning, right? Then you have others who I think we see more often today, especially the younger group. They say, you know, we need something to attach ourselves to, right? We need some movement to be a part of. And so they go off, you know, and fight for, uh, you know, social justice or climate change or some LGBTQ issues, right? They say, this is going to give my life the meaning and the purpose that it lacks that I've been longing for and searching for. There are others out there who do pursue religion, though, don't they? You know, they go out and they pursue Islam and Mormonism and Catholicism. Right? But what, what do we know about all these people? Right? We know that, that no amount of wealth, that no amount of joining movements or finding a new job or joining a false religion is going to give people, right, the happiness, the, the joy, the peace, the assurance that we all long for, will it? Even those who understand. What they're lacking is not to be found out in the world, but only through a relationship with God. Right? For all those people who go and search for God in other religions, 
even they cannot find true and lasting peace wherever it is they look to find it. Right? Because what is true of every religion outside of Christianity is that you cannot have true peace and true assurance because in part it's based upon your works and what you do here on earth. Right? And so no matter what you try to do, right, people are, are constantly looking for that thing that they are longing for. Right? They, they have this innate feeling that they, something is, is missing in their life. Right? And so they look to these other things, but none of these, these things are able to, to bring them peace and give rest to their souls. Right? Because true rest, the rest people are looking for, can only be found through fellowship with Christ. And this is exactly what we see in Jesus' encounter with this young ruler today. Right? We see great unrest in the soul of this man because he knew not Christ. Right? There was unrest in his soul because he knew not Christ. Now this man was a religious man. Right? He was a Jew. He believed the Torah. And yet there was something deeply embedded inside of him that said something was missing. But whatever he was lacking, he thought that Jesus was the one who could give to him the answer. And so he goes to Jesus and asks him kind of life's ultimate question. Right? How do I inherit eternal life? And so it's this struggle with this question that this man has that's really going to be the focus of our attention this morning. And we're going to look at this struggle that he has under three points. Okay? And the three points are this. The first is sincere question. Sincere question. Point two is Self-deception. Self-deception. And point three is sad realization. Sad realization. So sincere question, self-deception, sad realization. So point one, sincere question. Now at the very outset, what we have to recognize is that this young man has done something very commendable. Right? He has done commendable things. Right? He, he approaches Jesus because he's a thoughtful man. Right? He spent time thinking about life's important questions. He spent time showing concern over his eternal destiny, which is much more than can be said for a lot of young people and even old people today, right? Right? He thought about those deep questions. You know, today, people, both young and old, think of those questions, but they kind of do it momentarily, right? And then they, they push them out of their mind or they push them to the back of their mind and they say, you know, I'm going to wait till later on in my life, maybe as I near the end, and then I'll start to think about you know, eternal life. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You know, when I was first converted, I watched these videos by uh, Ray Comfort. I think it was called Living, Living Waters Ministries, maybe. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but you know, what he used to do is he would go to like college campuses and other things like that, and he would talk to young kids, and usually one of the first questions he asked is, you know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And, you know, many of them had kind of just a general answer, oh, I think I'm going to this, or I think I'm going there, but what we, what you could tell is that they never really gave, right, true consideration to the question, right? They never really thought about it. But what do we see here? We have a, we have a young man who's struggled with his eternal security. He struggled so much that he's now gone out to seek after a person who could give him the answer to that question. And so what we see is, unlike the scribes, 
And unlike the Pharisees, right, who, who approached Jesus in order to entrap him, they approached him in order to, to stump Jesus. This young man approaches Jesus with a sincere question. Right? He, he desperately wants to know, how do I inherit eternal life? And the sincerity of the question is also seen in the, in the manner in which this man approaches Jesus, isn't it? How does he approach Jesus? He runs up to him. And when he runs up to him, does he just fist bump him or, you know, give him a, an elbow tap? Does he treat him like a friend or a buddy? Or does he treat him like an equal? No. Right? When he runs up to Jesus, he gets on his knees before Jesus, demonstrating his humility before Jesus and the reverence that he had for him. And that reverence is seen as soon as he opens his mouth, isn't it? Right? What's the first thing he says to Jesus? Good teacher! What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now it's Jesus' response to that title, good teacher. In verse 18, when Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That opponents of Christianity oftentimes use, don't they? Right? They'll, they'll take it and they'll say, See, Jesus doesn't believe that He's God. He's, he's saying, Why do you call me good? I'm not God. But all of you guys I know are smart enough to understand that you know, that's not what's being said here, right? There is no denial of divinity here. But what in fact Jesus is doing is trying to see if this young man has made the proper connection of his divine nature. Right? He's trying to see if he made that connection. Are you calling me good because you know God alone is good? And so you believe me to be God? Right? He's trying to see if this man is causing him to think. He's causing him to see if, this proper, if he's made that proper connection between calling Jesus good and understanding that God alone is good. But it becomes pretty obvious right away that this man does not believe Jesus to be, to be God. In fact, what we see here is he has a, he has a very surface level understanding of who Jesus is, doesn't he? Alright, it's in this encounter we see that he has a very superficial understanding of a lot of things. A superficial understanding of what, of what good means. A superficial understanding of the law. A superficial understanding of, of Christ. Right? Because he merely sees Jesus as a, as a good teacher. He sees him as a, a good rabbi. Someone who is good in relation to other men, but someone who is not good as God is good. And honestly though, this, this man's view of goodness, I think is very much the, the view of goodness that many people hold today, don't they? Right? This man thought Jesus was good because he was a religious man. And isn't that how people view religious people today oftentimes, right? Uh, a pastor or a spiritual leader, you know, people view as good, right? These are good men because, you know, they're somehow closer to God. Or they, they dedicate their lives to, to, to their religion and so they're viewed as good men. Oftentimes we, we view those who, you know, those who engage in charitable work, we view them as, as good people, right? They, they donate time and money, so, so they're good people. Right? Today, what do we see? Right? Uh, we, we usually designate goodness for those who are willing to accept all people. Right? To, to not have any judgments toward what people do in their life. And, 
And so if, if that's the type of person you are, then, then you are deemed good by society today. Right? But what do we see about this world's view of goodness? Right? It's subjective goodness. Right? It's goodness based on a belief you hold or works that you do. And so it's subjective goodness. It can increase or it can decrease. Right? You can become good one day and not good another. I was just reading a story yesterday. This lady was, uh, was hired by ESPN to, to hold some, to host some show. And so they must have thought she was good, right? They must have thought she was good, good character, good everything. And so they hired her to, to lead this show. Well, it comes up ten years ago when she was in, in, in college. An inappropriate tweet that she had, they had sent out into Twittersphere. And now it, it came to light. And they fired her. No longer was she good. right? The person that they thought was good and qualified to be hired was no longer good. She lost her goodness according to this world. right? And so we see that the, the goodness of this world is subjective. It, it goes up, it goes down. You can gain it, you can lose it. But what Jesus is doing here is, is pointing out that, the, that only God is the one who is truly alone good because He is good in His essence. Right? He cannot grow in goodness. God cannot lessen in His goodness. Right? Goodness that we have is goodness received. Goodness that God has is because He is goodness. Right? Goodness is who God is. He doesn't receive it or derive it from anyone else. And so true goodness then is reflected in the, in the law of God. It's reflected in what He reveals to us. Because what He reveals to us is the the character of God through the law. This is why, as we'll see in just a little bit, He points the rich young ruler back to the law. Now this young ruler, though, thought Jesus was a a good teacher. right? He thought Jesus knew the, the right things to do to inherit eternal life. And so his question is, good teacher, right? What he's really asking is, teach me to be a good man that I too might inherit eternal life, just like you, good teacher, have. But Jesus immediately stops him, right? And He tells him that no one, according to creaturely goodness, will ever inherit eternal life. Right? Because in creaturely goodness, right, we come into this world not good. We come into this world fallen. Right? Since the fall, there is no one who is good. Right? We've all transgressed the law of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus is trying to show him there is none good but God. Right? None are deserving of eternal life because none are good. Now, although this young man did not understand what true goodness is, right, he did come with, with sincerity of heart. He came with sincerity of question, believing that Jesus could answer him this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And yet, what does this question even demonstrate to us? What does this man's question demonstrate to us? It demonstrates that he was even ignorant of of what it was to attain eternal life, doesn't it? His question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man thought he was, he was missing one piece of the puzzle. Right? One final good deed, one final act that he had to do. And so he turns to Jesus to find out what that was. 
And this is not unlike people today, is it? Right? Don't they say, well, as long as my good works outweigh my bad works, I will inherit eternal life. But Jesus exposes this faulty way of thinking in His response. And this takes us to point number two, which is self-deception. Look with me at verses 19 and 20, please. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Right? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now what I want us to see here is the approach that Jesus takes to this young man. Because this is an approach that has been neglected in popular evangelicalism today, hasn't it? Right? Oftentimes when we talk to people about Jesus, it's about just receiving Jesus into your heart, isn't it? Right? A pastor might give a, a gospel presentation at the end of service. And he just says, you know, Jesus died for your sins. Just believe in Him and you'll have eternal life. Right? Oftentimes, you know, we tell people as we describe salvation, it's like, you know, you're floating in the water and you're just, you're reaching for Jesus. You can't get to Him and He just, He throws that life vest out and you just gotta grab onto it. Right? And then you'll have eternal life. Or other times we tell people, you know, just pray this prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. Right? The term oftentimes associated with these things is easy believism. Right? But I want us to see that Jesus does not adopt this method, but rather His method is just the opposite. You see, people do not understand how incredibly far they stand apart from God. They don't understand the distance between God and man. Right, People like this young man believe that they are one good work away from heaven when nothing could be further from the truth. Right, Man is, is spiritually blind. Man is an enemy of God. Man inwardly is born hating God. He is born in rebellion to God. And God's wrath abides upon him so long as he persists in that condition. Right, Man thinks he's good. Man thinks he's a qualified candidate for eternal life. But God says to man, you are not. Right? All of your works I despise and detest. I cannot dwell with unregenerate man because God cannot dwell with sin and wickedness and evil. And this is what unbelievers need to understand. Right? That, that no good work they do is good. For a good work to be good, it must include two things. It must be done in faith. And it must be done with God and His glory as it ends. Right? In order for a work to be truly good. And so no unbeliever can do a good work. Because it's not done in faith. And usually the ends for which they do works is their own glory, isn't it? It's to have a, a pat on the back from man. And so God rejects the good works of the ungodly. This is what Jesus tries to get this man to see when he brings up in the second table of the law. Right? He needs to see that he is not good. He needs to see that in fact he is unfit for heaven. He needs to see that he is unworthy of fellowship with God. And so Jesus shows him this 
and showing him the second table of the law. He's demonstrating to this man how incredibly short he has fallen of the standard God has given to us. And this man is with all sinners, right? Us included. We're, in a, we're at a time in need of seeing our own unrighteousness, weren't we? Right? We are in need of seeing our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness. Seeing that we by nature were deserving of eternal death and condemnation because it's only then that we've seen our need for the Savior. Right? This is why Jesus is showing him the law so that he can then give him the gospel. Right? It's only first by showing him the law that this man will see his need for the gospel. Right? But in showing him the law, right, what Jesus though is telling him is that the law wasn't given to us to grant life. Right? The law wasn't given to grant life to us. Right? The law was given as to be pedagogical. Right? To be a teacher. To be a mirror. To, to show man himself that he might behold his true nature. And where he stands before God. Right? This is what Paul says in Romans 7.7. 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Earlier in Romans 3, after demonstrating that all have sinned, Paul says in, in verse 20, For by the works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But what was this man's response to Jesus when he showed him his sin? Was it a self-humbling? Was it a contrite spirit? Was it a pleading to God for His grace and mercy? No. It was self-righteousness. This man was pleased with himself. He thought he had done good in life. This is why he responds in verse 20. Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Right? He believed he had done just enough, almost, to walk through heaven's doors. He just needed one more thing and Jesus needed to be the one to tell him what it was. But I want you to see what this man's problem was. Because it's a problem that plagues all of us at times. Right? This man thought far too good of himself, didn't he? Right? And this is something we are all guilty of. Right? We are all guilty of being like that Pharisee in that parable Jesus tells in Luke 18 of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, as Jesus describes the Pharisee in verse 11 and 12, he, the Pharisee walks up to the temple to pray to God and he says, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collectors. But I fast twice a week and I tithe, uh, and I give tithes of all that I give. Right? This is what this man was thinking of himself. He was self-righteous. We oftentimes find ourselves being self-righteous. But we need to see by nature we are self-deceivers. Right? By nature, we are self-deceivers. We are, by nature, spiritually blind. Right? By nature, we think way too good of ourselves and way too little of others. Brothers and sisters, this is why it's, it's so important to continually be drawing ourselves back to the, the law of God. We need to continually be reminding ourselves of the law of God. Right? To remind ourselves of our own sinfulness. To remind ourselves who we are apart from Christ Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 7, 24, 
Oh, wretched man that I am. That is how we have to see ourselves. And so let us not be satisfied with our own works of goodness. Because anyone who starts to depend upon their own works, anyone who thinks that they can fulfill the law, right? Christ becomes of no benefit to you. Christ is of no profit to the one who thinks by good works they can do anything to inherit eternal life. It's only when we remind ourselves of who we are, as sinful men, dependent on God, that we are going to continually be driven back to Christ. That's why it's so important to remind ourselves of the law, because it drives us back to Christ, so that we no longer trust in our own good works, but in the works of Christ. Also, we have to constantly remind ourselves, this is why Christ came. He came because we are no good, not because we are good, Right? He came to fulfill the law perfectly, which we could not do. Right? The, the best works of the holiest saint is still tainted with sin and imperfect. Right? And so we needed not our own righteousness, but we needed to look to the righteousness of another, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. What this also means for us is that we need to daily be praying to God Asking Him that He would show us ourselves. Because we are self-deceivers. We need God to show us ourselves. Right? We need to plead with God to reveal to us what lies within our hearts. Right? We need to ask for God to continue to reveal Himself to us and His holiness. We need to ask God that He would continue to reveal to us our need for closer fellowship with Christ and grant to us the desire and ability to do that, right? To enter into a, a more intimate fellowship. Now at the same time, this man did not only under, not understand himself, right? But he doesn't understand the law truly. Which likewise means that we need to be crying out to God that He would help us to understand His law. That He would reveal it to us. Right? As Paul says in Romans, I believe chapter 7, that the law is spiritual. Which means what? Only those who have the Spirit are able to comprehend and understand the law. And so we need to ask God to help us to understand that law. You see, this man thought because he, he outwardly observed the law, that he had fulfilled the law's demands. Right? He says to Jesus, I've not stolen, not committed adultery, I've not murdered. And all those things could be true. All those things could be true. Perhaps he did perfectly obey those commandments. Yet, he failed to yield utter inner obedience to Christ in observing those commandments. Right? What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, God demands not only external obedience, but He demands inward conformity of heart to His law as well. Right? This is what the Pharisees were guilty of. Right? Outward obedience. This is why they were rejected by God. Because what does He say? They were beautiful on the outside. They were pretty and shiny on the outside. But what? They were full of dead men's bones in the inside. And unfortunately, this is what is true of this rich young ruler today. 
And this leads us then into our third and our final point. Point number three, which is sad realization. Please look with me at our, our final two verses. Verses 21 and 22. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, brothers and sisters, there should be no surprise to us that we are told that Jesus looked at the man and loved the man. There shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because we are all made in the image of God. Right? God doesn't hate Himself. And so He, in a sense, right, He loves all of His creation. He loves all of mankind. Now, we are not to confuse this with the special love He has for the elect. But there's no problem saying that, that Jesus looked upon this man and He loved him. Right? He's seen the, the sin of this man. He's seen what sin has done to this man. He sees the struggles of this man. And He has great compassion and pity on this man. Same as He did with Israel. As He wept over Jerusalem, right? Who, who forsook Him. Right? Who turned away from Him. Right? He wept over Israel. He had pity and compassion on them. He loved them. But not with that special love that He has for the elect. Now the truly loving thing that Jesus does to this man, right, is He shows him who is true self by giving him the law. But then He leads him to the Gospel. Right? He leads him to Himself. He leads him to Christ. Right? Jesus says, go give up your wealth and come follow Me. Right? He pointed him to the second table of the law to show this man that he failed in keeping the first table of the law. Right? He didn't love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? He, he had other gods before Yahweh, didn't He? And so in pointing him showing him that second table, he showed him that he violated the first commandment. Right? That he showed this man with that, with that one statement, right? who his true God was, which was his wealth and his possessions. And so Jesus demonstrates here right, and exposes the true heart of this man. And what Jesus is saying to all of us here in this encounter is that to, to love God, Right means willing to, to give up everything if God demands it. Right? That is what true love of God means. Right? Willing to subject ourselves to God's will by doing whatever He demands. And the demand was far too much for this man. And so he, he walked away. Right? What is it that Jesus is telling us throughout the Gospels? Right? Seek first the kingdom. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Right? What does Paul tell us? Seek those things that are in heaven, not on earth. Right? Jesus here was showing this man his true self. Highlighting the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. Right? The, the believer willing to forsake all that he has for Christ. And the unbeliever unwilling to forsake anything for Christ. Right? We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23-28 to 28, in the example of Moses. We're told this, that by faith, Moses considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Right? By faith, Moses considered the treasures of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. What do we see here in our text today? This man considered the treasures of this earth as greater than the treasure of Christ. Right? right? His earthly possessions were more valuable to him than Christ. 
He was unwilling to deny himself. He was unwilling to take up his cross. He was unwilling to follow Christ. And so what happens? We're told he walks away disheartened and sorrowful. Now this word sorrowful actually has a a stronger meaning to it, right? It means to be pained or, or vexed. Right, it means to be grieved. And so this man was, was displeased greatly. He was, he was shocked at what Jesus has told him. And he walked away, displeased and sorrowful, knowing that if what Jesus has said is true, he was far from inheriting the kingdom of God. He was far from entering into eternal life. Right, the demands were too great for this man. The cost too high. Jesus says, give up all of your possessions and follow me. But Jesus was not enough for him. He was not moved by faith to trust and obey. He had material wealth, but he was spiritually bankrupt. And in doing so, then he walks away from Jesus and he walks away from salvation. He walks away from eternal life. right? Because Jesus is eternal life. This is what we're told in the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 3. Right? This is eternal life, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And so as we start to, to draw to a close, I ask you here today, right? do you know the Father and Jesus Christ, the only one whom He has sent? Have you denied yourself, taken up the cross and followed after Jesus? Do you trust in Christ and believe in Him for your righteousness? Right? This is the only way a sinner will ever inherit eternal life. You will never get there by your good works. Because your good works are never enough. You need the works of another. And that other is Jesus Christ. But I want us also to see something else as we draw to a close. And that is that, that, is that faith consists of more than just a profession of words or a confession. Right? This, this man was able to say that he, he believed that he did all these things. Right? But his, his actions betrayed his profession. And don't we see this today? Right? People say they believe in Jesus. People call themselves Christians, but their actions deny their profession. And so let this be an exhortation to us to demonstrate our faith each and every day by right? putting in demonstrating that faith in God, right, through, through practice each and every day. Let us not be content with merely external religion. Let us not be content with just going through the motions. And then ask ourselves, you know, why do I do the good I do? Is it for man or is it for God? Right? Ask yourself, am I, am I willing to give up all for Christ if He so demanded? Right? Am I willing to give up? My career? Am I willing to give up my house? Am I willing to give up my health? Am I willing to give up my life if He so demands it? And then unlike this rich young ruler, let us, let us see where our greatest treasure is. Right? This young, rich young ruler thought his greatest treasure was here on earth. But where does Christ tell us our treasure is? Right? When He tells the man, give up all you have and follow Me, He tells him, you will have treasure in heaven. Let us think about that today as we go about our day, as we leave out of here. Jesus tells us that heaven is treasure. And so let us long for that heavenly treasure that awaits all of us. 
Right? And, and until that, that day comes where we enter into that heavenly treasure, right? let us continue to walk by faith in Christ alone, knowing that we have entered into the kingdom and we have inherited eternal life through faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, please bow your hands with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know that it is trustworthy and that it is true. We ask You, Father, that You would uh, reveal to us our sin as we read Your Word. That it would cause us to confess and repent of our sin. And that, Father, You would show us and move us in the ways in which You would desire us to go. That we might glorify You and and live out the, the will of God in our lives. And so, Father, we come before You this day pleading with You, asking these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.